Let me remind you where we are in Luke. Um, Luke's gospel does not begin with Jesus. It begins with his predecessor, John the Baptist. And it begins with John the Baptist's father, before John is, is uh, conceived, he is in the temple. He's a priest. And the angel Gabriel appears to him and says, you and your wife, even though you're old, you're going to have a baby. And Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. So the angel says, you will be silent. You will not be able to speak until the baby is born. So then we have the angel appearing to Mary. We have Mary visiting Elizabeth. Uh, we have uh, Mary's Magnificat. But today we pick up with Zechariah after John has been born. All right? So this is, this is actually a painting from the 1800s. Ricardo Sisi painted this. Um, amazingly, it's the, uh, it's the circumcision of John the Baptist. Okay? Uh, they, they bring John to the temple to be circumcised. And you can see Zechariah here writing Johannes uh, there, uh, but that would be John. He's writing. So you say, what's going on? Well, here's the story. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him, and, and the they there is the relatives and the neighbors, right? And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called, which I kind of think is... A little funny. He can't talk, but he can hear. <laughs> but they're like, you know, making signs to him. So you just talk to him. But um, they make signs. What are you going to call him? And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word as we look at what happened to Zechariah, as we look at what happened to the people of the hill country, uh, we want to experience that same awe that they felt. So Lord, use this time, especially this week before Christmas, to prepare our hearts uh, so we can truly worship you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look at... Um, at some different things that are going on here. We want to first of all look at the silence of Zechariah. And then we want to look at his confidence. So the confidence of Zechariah. And then we want to look at the awe or the fear 
that fell upon the people. And, and the goal is not just to learn these things objectively, but to see how we can apply them to ourselves so we can meet with the same God that they met with. All right? So let's talk about the silence of Zechariah. Do you notice a difference between this Zechariah and the Zechariah who was, was before, before the conception of John? Nine months ago, I think we see a different Zechariah. I would call Zechariah nine months ago a believing doubter or a, or a doubting believer. The scripture says that he walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So what that means is, as a priest, he kept the letter of the law. There was no doubt that he was obedient to the letter of the law. Okay? But when Gabriel tells him that you and your aging wife are going to have a baby, his response is, how can that be? He believes in God. He obeys God. But there are certain things in his mind that are beyond God's ability. Doubting, kind of wishy-washy. Right? So what's the angel's response? He said, and behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So he's silent. He does not talk for nine months. And the application is you ought to try that. Go be warm and well-fed. Okay. Um, now, the baby is circumcised. It's a big deal in Jewish life, right? And they ask him, what's the, the child's name going to be? His name is John. And then his mouth opens. He praises God. And we don't have this up here, but next week you're going to see that he actually prophesies. He, he speaks the word of God. So here's the question. What changed him from doubting the word of God to now speaking the word of God? May I suggest that his silence was not just a punishment. It was a mercy from God. How so? When we're talking, 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 we're not listening. And we're not listening to God. When we're quiet, imagine all the listening you can do. Let me show you some passages about listening, about being quiet. And listening. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, um, actually, John the Baptist is, is said to be Elijah. He comes in the spirit of Elijah. So, in the Old Testament, why is Elijah so important? Well, remember, Elijah has this, this Super Bowl showdown on Mount, Mount Carmel 
It's him versus the prophets of Baal. And Elijah says, let's have a, a contest. There's 450 of them. And uh, he says, you know, your God's the God of fire. Why don't we do this? We put a sacrifice up on, a, uh, on some wood. You call on your God, and if he answers by fire, then he's God. If I call on my God, and he answers by fire, then he is God. So they build an altar, and they put a cow on top of it, and the, uh, the prophets of Baal are marching around, slashing themselves with swords and calling on Baal, and there's no, uh, no fire from heaven. Elijah says, all right, let me try. Before, douse, douse it with water, so there's no doubt. You know, it's kind of dry here. We don't want any forest fires to, to get credit for this. So douse it with water, douse it with water. And then he says, Lord, show yourself. Fire comes down, consumes the sacrifice. And he says, grab those guys. And then he kills the 450 prophets of Baal. He's like superstar, superstar Elijah, right? But the next thing we see, we turn the page, and he's running afraid of Jezebel, right? He has no fear of man, but when it comes to a woman, he's terrified, right? He's afraid of Jezebel. And uh, he wants to die. He says, kill me. And, And God says, go to Mount Sinai where Moses was. So he goes the journey to Mount Sinai, and he's standing in a cave. And here's what happens. And he, God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. I mean, you talk about a strong wind. It's breaking the mountain apart. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice to him. Now what's all this about the wind and the fire and the earthquake? I think there's a simple point being made. Yes, God can speak through the spectacular. He can speak when you go to the big Christian rock concert. He can speak when he does a spectacular miracle like defeating the the prophets of Baal. But most of the time, he leads us when we're quiet, when we're seeking him, when we stop the talking. You know, sometimes the best prayer is not you advising him but you just quietly thinking about his word and letting him speak to you. Now, usually about this time of year, Christmas, some pastor, to to lay a guilt trip on everybody, pulls out the story of Mary and Martha. Martha, Martha, she's rushing around. 
You need to not rush around. And then the moms all go, yeah, but who does all the preparation? But I, I, you know, every time I read Mary and Martha, I, I think you could, you could probably write volumes on lessons learned from Mary and Martha. Um, but let's look at this again. A certain two words popped out when I read this. And now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister, sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. And here's what, here's what popped out for the first time uh, that I'd, I'd never noticed this, but what did she do? She listened to his teaching. In fact, there's no words of Mary recorded here. All it says is she listened. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, so here's the contrast between listening and talking. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I mean, this isn't a statement. It's a, it's a question. It, it, it's actually an accusation. You don't care? Look at all this work I have to do. And I'm in the kitchen, and look at good for nothing there. He's sitting here doing nothing. And then she commands Jesus, tell her then to help me. Now, you know you're worked up when you're commanding the Lord of the universe to tell your good-for-nothing sister to get in the kitchen. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What did she choose? To, to, to listen. Shh, stop talking. Listen. Right. Here's another one. Talk about spectacular. The, 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 uh, Elijah on, on Mount Carmel was spectacular. And then Elijah on Mount Sinai with the wind, and the, that was spectacular. Now, Jesus goes up on a mountain. Um, we don't know which mountain it, it was, but he takes Peter, James, and John, and he's transfigured. He glows on this mountain. And Elijah and Moses show up on the mountain, and, and Jesus is talking with them. And Peter, James, and John are just like blown away. And here's the response. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi... It is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And, and now Mark says, for he did not know what to say. I think the NIV says um, he didn't know what he was saying. That didn't stop him from saying. He didn't know what he was saying, but he had a lot to say. I have a plan. We're going we're gonna to build some monuments here. We're going to build a tent for you, one for you. We're going to build this one over here. We're going to build this one. And then look what God says. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, I think there's a bigger theological point being made here. I, th I think it has to do with, with Elijah and Moses being representatives of uh, of 
the old era and God is saying, listen to Jesus now. What I think a minor lesson here is, hey Peter, shut up. Stop talking and listen to Jesus. Okay. There's a, um, a spiritual discipline of silence, which is purposely, especially in our age, turning off the media, turning off the radio, turning off the TV, taking out the earbuds, stopping the texting. Some people, it's like, it never ends with the ding, 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 ding. How do you get anything done? Right? But there's a spiritual discipline of silence where you, you purposely turn it all off and you're quiet before the Lord. Now, let me just clarify. Am I saying then you're going to start hearing God speak to you? Well, I think the normative way that God speaks to us is through His Word. In fact, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked. So, so here in the talk, the advice of the wicked. Who are, who are your pals? Who are you listening to? Some people, they're listening to the wicked all the time. Nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, mockers who know better. They know everything. They make fun of people. They criticize people. They're scoffing at people. But notice, they're talking, talking. But his delight, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Meditation, I'm not talking about Eastern meditation where you empty your mind. I'm talking about Christian meditation where you fill your mind with Scripture. And you mull it over. And you think about it. And to really do that, you have to turn off the radio and the earbuds and and, and you have to think and pray and be quiet. You know, my, my, the best part of my day, okay, I've got my, my and sit in front of the screen and do emails and write sermons and answer phone calls. And, but I go out and I run. <laughs> I look like a champion runner, don't I? Um, and I have earbuds in. But then I turn them off. And I'm away from it all, unless one of these people calls. Right? Um, and I think, and I meditate on Scripture. Occasionally I'll talk to God. People in my town think I'm crazy. There goes that guy walking around talking to himself again. Right? Um, those who meditate upon the Lord quietly. And, and if you say, you know, I'm not good at this. Because I was taught when I was a young Christian, to, if you want to be really spiritual, what you have to do is get up really early. The earlier, the more spiritual you are. Right? You have to have your quiet time, which involves reading a certain amount of Scripture and a journal. 
You've got to write things in your journal. Now, I'm not saying all that is bad. I'm super unspiritual. I'm not an early morning person. Right? And um, I don't, the journaling thing, not really good. But what I do do is I'll read the scripture, think about it, and go out for a walk, for a run. And that's when it happens for me. Maybe you want to try that because you've tried the journaling thing. Some of you say, I'm going to start this week, 5 a.m. <laughs> you fall asleep. Right? What, what about having your reading time? Go for a walk with or without the dog. Okay? So um, all that to say, I think Zechariah's silence may have been more than a punishment. It may have been a grace from God. Okay, Let's move on and look at the confidence of Zechariah. Uh, and they, his relatives, would have called him Zechariah after his father. Hey, he hasn't said a word in nine months. We'll take it from here. We're going to name this little baby Zechariah. <clears throat> and um, Elizabeth says, no, no, no. We're going to name him John. And they go, what? Let's check in with him. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. Not, you know, I've been considering John and there's a, a booklet of baby names. I'm thinking of Bernie you know, Bobby, no, no. Why, why is his name John? Because the angel that appeared to him said his name will be John. And he has spent nine months communing with the Lord. He's got a confidence about him now. He's, and, and I, don't, I wouldn't say this as persecution, but it is peer pressure. Right? And he stands up to the peer pressure, and we see... Some confidence here. Now, I'm not talking about self-confidence or arrogance. You know, there are a lot of self-confident people. And it's not a good thing. Because they're never wrong. They're always right. Everybody else is wrong. They have all the answers. It's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a spiritual confidence that comes from having met with the Lord. And everybody else's opinion becomes less important when you walk with the Lord. When you've met the Lord. You know what, what Zechariah reminds me of? He reminds me of the man born blind in John 9. Well, here's this man, all his life he's blind, and, and he meets Jesus, and Jesus opens his eyes. So now he can see. But the religious leaders don't like this because that points to Jesus as being a true prophet from God. And they've already decided that uh, he is possessed by a demon and we don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. So let's haul in the man and put him on trial. And they start questioning him. And then they haul in the man's 
parents. Now, the parents haven't met Jesus. The man has met Jesus. They ask, they ask the parents, how do you explain this? And they say, how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Uh, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Why are they so hesitant to say it was Jesus? His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they're very cautious about saying anything about Jesus. We don't know. We've, yeah, this is our son. We don't know how his eyes are. We don't know. We don't know. Can we leave now? Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So here's how you glorify God. You, you call Jesus a sinner, and we know he's in league with Satan. Right? So glorify, glorify God by calling Jesus a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. And that's enough for me to know something about this Jesus. Right? They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. How many times are we going to go over this? I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, do you also want to become his disciples? He's goading them. Where does this make this confidence? He just met Jesus. And Jesus opened his eyes. And Jesus changed him. And he didn't care what they think, unlike his parents. So they push him more. Come on, say Jesus is a sinner. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. His name's going to be John. And no, you guys are all confused about who Jesus is. I can see now. I'm not confused. See, there's a confidence that comes from being with the Lord. Remember when the apostles, <clears throat> they go out in the streets of Jerusalem and they preach. And they're hauled in before the Sanhedrin, the very guys that killed Jesus. And it says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And look at this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What gave them the confidence to boldly proclaim Christ? They had been with Jesus. Right? So we see in Zechariah his, his silence. We see now his Confidence. Now, let's switch and talk about the people. The awe of the people. 
So after nine months, Zechariah, who's been quiet, opens his mouth, he praises God, he speaks about the child, and it says, and fear, and, and this word is, is phobos, it, it, it's translated in some places fear, and it can mean terror, like remember when the, the angels appeared to the shepherds? Fear, terror, but it can also mean reverence and awe, and it can be translated as awe. In fact, the, the ESV translates it as awe elsewhere. Okay, So I'm going to call this awe. And awe came on, and some, some Christians are like, oh, I'm filled with awe. Awe, when's this service going to be over? Awe, when are the donuts going to be over? Okay. Um, and awe came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Do you know that awe? The, the awe of God? It's the same word that we see here in Acts 2. So 3,000 people hear the gospel, they get saved, they get baptized, and they start meeting together. <clears throat> and it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Can I suggest <clears throat> that allless Christianity is a horrible existence? Just a horrible life to live. It's the worst of all possible worlds. It's just joyless religious duty. It involves going to church and reading your Bible and giving 10% of your income away to the church and having potlucks and making sure you get your crock pot back the next week and believing all the right things and Gossiping about others because there's nothing really else to do. And it's the way so many Christians live. I, I've shared this before. Uh, it, it's kind of like when I was, I, I played fifth and sixth grade football. We practiced every, every day after school. But then my family had tickets to the home tickets to the Bear game. And the games were on Sunday, so I missed most of the games. So it's, Get up, go to school, go to football practice, do your wind sprints, hit each other, get bloody, get muddy, get rained on. Don't play. Do your homework, go to bed, get up, do it all over again. And that's the Christian life that many people are trapped in. Do you know how to experience the awe of God? Well, here's a question. Have you experienced it? Do you want to experience it? And are you willing to do what you need to? Because a lot of people are like, 
Yeah, I kind of want it. Oh, well, if, if it involves any effort, no. God has ordained certain very ordinary things, very ordinary means, so we can experience his awe. They're, they're right here. They, they devoted. That, that, means, that means there's, a, there's a, an emotional exci- <coughs> excitement about these things. Not just a, a raw duty. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we would call the, the Bible. And the fellowship, that, that's not... Um, like sometimes we talk about, let's have fellowship, and that involves a cup of coffee and some cake. And Christian fellowship is eating sweet things for a few minutes. No, the fellowship is, is referring to the, the people in your local church. Right? Well, I have friends on Facebook. Well, n- no, the, f- the fellowship are the people in your local church. Devotion to them. To the breaking of bread, okay, and you go, there's a debate. Is this, is this about eating together or is this about communion? And the answer is yes. Because the church had their weekly gathering, which always involved a meal, and part of the meal was communion. So the code word for that whole thing is breaking bread, Okay, the breaking of bread. And the prayers, and they had prayer time. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm sure they probably kept some of the prayers from Judaism, and they used the book of Psalms and so forth. Okay, But, but these are the means God uses to bring about the experience of his awe. Now you say, wait a minute, I, I thought you said you can do all these things and it's just like going to football practice. Well, that is if you settle for just doing these things. W- w- what I would say is, is this. Don't settle for all this Christianity. Do these things and push through to awe. You can do the disciplines without awe, but you won't have awe without the disciplines. Okay? So, are you devoted to the Word? Are you reading the Word and hearing the Word taught? Are you devoted to the people in your local church. Now, here's where I could say, here are some opportunities to gather. We have, did you know this? At 9.15 every Sunday morning, we have a prayer time in the back office there. I'd love to see you gather for prayer. There's this service, and afterwards we have connection time. It's kind of like our Sunday school. And then we have small groups. Okay? Um, now, I could list them all out for you and sign you all up, but I don't want you to do that just mechanically. 
I want you to first evaluate yourself and say, am I experiencing awe? No. Am I doing the God-ordained means that He has appointed? Oh, I'm maybe not that devoted to those things. I want to do them now, but my motive is the awe of God. Not just good Christians go to potlucks, go to small group, go to connection time, go to prayer time. You see the difference? The difference is duty-based versus delight-based. Ah, there's awe-based discipline and ah, shucks, I better do that based discipline. Interesting, the um, devotion to the breaking of bread. Um, most evangelical churches have communion once a month because there's this thing about we don't want it to become this rote, mindless thing, um, but we want to do it special enough that it's significant. So once a month is about good, and most evangelical churches do it on the first Sunday of the month. Um, but back then... They did it every time they gathered their, for their weekly gathering. Are you devoted to the weekly gathering? Or is it, ah, if I didn't stay up too late Saturday night, ah, I've got a busy, busy, busy day, ah, kickoffs coming soon. You know, some, some people are consumer Christians. I'm the consumer. If it fits into my schedule, great. Yeah, we got busy stuff. Busy, busy, busy. Okay. Do you want awe? Or do you want convenience? What about a small group? Here's a question. As we enter into a new year after Christmas, are you planning on making a small group Part of your awe-seeking. What about, and, and then you go, well, I don't like so-and-so, and there's this group and that. It's all part of it. It's all, it's all it, it, the relationships and, and working through it. That's all part of what this is about. Right? What about reading the, the Scripture? Not just because good Christians should do it, but because you want to meet and experience the awe of God. What about prayer? Go for a walk. Have people think you're crazy. How about, make, how about make this a goal for 2019? Your neighbors will call you crazy because you're out talking to God around your town. Right. 9.15, sometimes it gets lonely back there on Sunday morning if you want to come. Love to have you join us. And, and making the gathering the priority, not the leftover. Now, these are very ordinary means that you have to do, but you must push through to experience God. And here's what happens. Some people go, well, I don't want to do all those things, and I expect the church to provide the buzz 
and I don't get the buzz, therefore I'll go off and find something else, or I'll, some people even say, I'll try a different religion, the buzz just isn't happening for me. And there's a responsibility that we have to seek after him. Let me close with this, just with, uh, it's a great illustration of, of being satisfied with the ordinary. Okay? Ali Hafad owned a very large farm that had orchards, grain fields, and gardens, and was a wealthy, contented man. One day, a wise man from the east told this farmer all about diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he owned a diamond mine. Ali Hafad went to bed that night, now a poor man, because now he was discontent. Craving a diamond mine, he sold his farm to search for the rare stones. He traveled the world over, finally becoming so poor, broken, and defeated that he committed suicide. One day, the man who purchased Ali Hafad's farm led his camel into the garden to drink. As the camel put his nose in the brook, the man saw a flash of light from the sand of the stream. He pulled out a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. The man had discovered the diamond mine of Golaconda, the most magnificent mine in all history. Had Ali Hafad remained at home, and dug in his own garden, then instead of death in a strange land, he would have had acres of diamonds. God's given us everything we need. Right here in our little church that meets in a cafeteria in the middle of a cornfield to experience his Lord, we want to be like the early church. We want to be like the people of the hill country in Zechariah's day. Where it's not just duty, but we experience your awe. Lord, teach us to be quiet before you. Teach us to listen to you. Give us a confidence that comes from you. Lord, show us how to discipline our lives so we are devoted to your word, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and devoted to prayer where we meet you through these very ordinary means. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.